Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. Andy, how are we doing this Monday? Well, it's Monday. <laughs> no basketball today. No, tough day for sports. I today. guess there's That's a hockey okay. game, but... There's some good, uh, there's some very, very outstanding sports betting coverage to get into, though. Uh, and today, uh, we're recording oh, yeah. this on a Monday, but uh, we're going to release this and promote this on Tuesday, uh, which marks the one-year anniversary of the end of uh, sports betting prohibition. Uh, and in, uh, in celebration of that, I guess, maybe celebration is the wrong word, but yeah, I guess there's, there's cause for celebration that uh, we're moving in the right direction as a society in general, I guess. But uh, in, in, uh, in, re- in, in recogni- recognition, of. great call, in recognition of uh, the end of PASPA uh, and the uh, kind of the burgeoning uh, legal sports betting entities that are growing now in the United States, we've reached out to a uh, true advantage player. Uh, and information, a bottomless wealth of information as it relates to this particular topic and just, you know, sharp play and um, and advantage play in general. Uh, first time ever. Welcome to the deep dive. Captain Jack Andrews. All right. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, how are you celebrating the, uh, the one year anniversary? This is the paper anniversary. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I guess I'll print out some sports betting tickets at the uh, kiosk in Atlantic City. Uh, there we go. But uh, is uh, Atlantic City your generally your stomping grounds? Uh, it is in terms of the the nearest casino for me. It is, um, you know. But the, the the cool thing is being in New Jersey is I have a lot of mobile options now, a lot of legal mobile options, and and I, I tell you, you know, it it really makes for some. Uh, lazy days now when you can just kind of <laughs> <laughs> just get yourself to the computer and you know fire away at, at 12 or 13 different legal outs um, you know and if you ran out of money at one of them you can uh, transfer money from your checking account right into the account without having to figure out how to get some Bitcoin into the system in the next day it's 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 a nice luxury right on um, so just as oh, kind of an so overall nice. I you know it is. I, I yeah. Well, I live in California. We don't have. I don't know. Maybe we maybe we're getting closer, but I, I don't have a whole heck of a lot of hope that uh, we're going to imminently be uh, have access to these markets. And it does sound pretty nice to have the protection. Iowa, kind of Iowa pop today. Iowa pop today. Yeah, it's. Uh, we're up to what eight? Yeah. How many states are we up to? Uh, there's eight states where you can place a bet as of today, and there's 14 plus the District of Columbia that now are uh, legal. Oh, okay. So nice. It's, it's nice. Nice. So, um, is given that this is, you know, kind of this, this being one year in, um, I remember Andy and I, we did a podcast last year, kind of speculating on how we thought things would emergency go. And podcast, I, yeah. Emergency podcast, you know, this is big day, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I think our, our general, our, our general conclusion was sort of a, a shoulder shrug, kind of like, eh, like this isn't really going to impact me in, in my, you know, my daily betting. And, and I would say that that's, pro- you know, that, that's more or less panned out to be true. Um, I haven't seen, you know, a ton of impacts on what it does to the offshore markets. I haven't seen a ton of impacts on, you know, it, it really shaking the, the core of the affiliate model, although maybe that is coming in year two. Um, but, uh, you know, what, as you sit back, uh, Captain, what would you say, uh, major takeaways from, uh, first year of, uh, legal, legal gaming? You know, I had the same kind of shoulder shrug, uh, a year ago because I just thought the big companies were going to come in and take all the fun out of it. 
immediately and it was just going to be uh you know william hill and um caesars and mgm and, and basically vegas but in a different state um but what we've seen is it's, it's actually a very competitive market in certain states um and in fact that's kind of like the the biggest turning point in legalization has been you know we have all these different states that have all these different regulations and each one is approaching it approaching it differently to the point where uh you know the states are really dictating if they're going to have a competitive market or if they're just going to have a kind of a tired almost monopolistic market so you know i'm in new jersey and in new jersey there's there's the possibility for up to 42 different sports book brands uh if you fill out all of the different online skins that can be taken up um but whereas in you know an hour from me in delaware uh it's it's the lottery runs it and they only want one brand and it's basically william hill doing the risk management for them and it's a very boring kind of tired product in in delaware um but in new jersey it's very competitive and when you have a competitive market you know and this is kind of a, like a, just a law of capitalism uh competitive markets are good for the consumer because there is an there's a, an increased pressure on the operator to offer the best product for the consumer's dollar that they're competing for um, so we saw crazy sign up deals in new jersey um, mm. you know to the point where you know oh, if you go yeah. and just sign up at all the sign up deals uh, you probably pocket about four thousand dollars in new jersey currently um, and that's without you know, if you kind of do it the right way, you can you can do it all without really risking much money. Uh, sure. Got to play those deals against each other. This isn't like uh, fifty times rollover type of exactly uh, stuff. This is more. This is much more it, kind of. It makes me think door, of the spoon loss leader type of. Yeah, we talked to yeah. When we talked to Spoon earlier about right. the, uh, you know, signing signing up for all the offshores way back, back in the day. when the offshores had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, you that's know, a lot of sign up shit. I wouldn't say these operators here don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They've just factored it into their their um, algorithm of what it's going to cost them to get competitive in the market. So they're willing to take a loss for you know a year or so um, and build up brand recognition and and build up a customer base. Um, so we you know there's a ton of that. Um, but even outside of New Jersey, you know what we've kind of seen in some of these other states is each state that comes along seems to have their own little signature on it. And sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's for the worse. And we haven't yet seen the perfect state. You know, um, Andy mentioned Iowa today. So Iowa comes online today and they got, they got a lot of the good stuff. You know, they have a low tax rate, which that means there's low overhead for the operator and they're going to be able to offer a more competitive product. They have, um, two skins per operator, which means there'll be a multiple of sports books in Iowa, um, a multiple, you know, so we have the different casinos in Iowa, but each one can have up to two online entities. Um, uh, what else did, oh, there was a low entry point in Iowa. So in other words, I think it's only $45,000 to obtain a license in Iowa, which that means there could be some real small players that kind of want to get into the market and they're able to get in there and offer their product and maybe their product is innovative in some way. That's always good for the consumer. Um, but then Iowa throws this twist and says, but you can't make any prop bet concerning a college team uh, in Iowa. I think it's in Iowa or it's any college team or something like that. Uh, there goes Drake. Jeez. Right. There right. goes Northern Iowa. I mean, so what, oh. I mean the point I, of it being I, is like, you know, the, you just the take away from the innovation. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's like the tax rate thing. The, the states that are going high on that. What I mean, what are they? Are they just like spitting, thumbing their nose at everybody, being like, you know, we're gonna charge what we're gonna charge, and we're gonna make a shitload of money, and you're gonna bet anyway because you're dumb. Like it, it doesn't matter uh, what margins the book charge or what what kind of overhead we have to charge them, and because they just have to pass that on. And if you know, like yeah, everything's well, just trickles down to the better. So the, the poster child for that is Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania came out with this 30, it's like 36% tax rate. And how they reached that was um, the, the tax rate for table games is 17% in Pennsylvania. And they decided, well, there's less people that need to run a sports book than need to run a table games pit. So let's double the tax rate because they're going to have less oh people God. they have to pay. And then there's a two percent <laughs> local tax that goes to the community uh, county or whatever that they're based in. So that's how they came up with thirty six. And literally, oh that's how they God. did it. That that's under testimony to the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board. Thirty six percent against what though? Gross gaming revenue or against uh, the specific hold? Gross gaming revenue, which means uh, tickets written okay. minus tickets cashed. Okay. 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 And not and so that that doesn't account for the fact that there is a decent amount of overhead in running a sports book beyond just the people you pay to to cash tickets and and uh, take right. wagers, right? Right. And it also doesn't, you know, everything from like, you know, uh, having the direct TV feed to all the TVs in the sports book is based on the square footage of the sports book, um, and you have to do that for you know each provider that you're getting that information from those feeds from, um, you know, it's it goes down to you know how how nice will the chairs be in your sports book because that's an overhead that you need to factor in um and it also it kind of but it rolls over when you get into online betting because you know when you have a mobile product well now you have less overhead right you have less people to pay you don't have clerks there you have things things like that um but what we saw in new jersey was that's where the real deal started to come in for the consumer is the the mobile betting is where we saw the sign-up deals for, you know, $500 free when you sign up and things like that. Uh, we haven't seen mobile yet in Pennsylvania. In fact, it's going to come out, I believe, this week. I, from what I've heard, it's May 15th is when they're going to give the go-ahead to start letting uh, a couple of these places go online. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that same thing in Pennsylvania in terms of a competitive reach to get customers because they have to deal it. with such Because <laughs> they yeah. can't afford it, yeah. I mean, they've, they've already... They've yeah. already done, you know, a lot of people thought, well, hey, are, is Pennsylvania going to just do like minus 115 on either side? Uh, they, they don't. They deal a minus 110 line, you know, a standard 20 cent line. Um, but where is their, where is their generosity going to stop and where are they going to start passing things on to the consumer? And I think we're going to see it in that marketing spend, the cost to get each consumer uh, is where Pennsylvania, you're going to see kind of the, the books get a little bit cheaper. Oh, fascinating. Know. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'm, I'm still stuck on the cable bill. Like the more I think about that, like right, that, that 100%, I footage. can't imagine what some of these sports books. Yeah, because I think it, it's it's like square footage and you know and the capacity. Your seating capacity is based on square footage. So yeah, it's it's like uh, gosh, one of the the UFC fights or maybe you know one of the bigger fights. It was like a hundred bucks for the pay per view, and we tried to get one of the local bars where we we hang out to, to order it. And they wanted to charge him like twenty eight hundred dollars to order the fight because of how many people could fit in the bar. And then you multiply that by I don't know if they go by screen or all that, but Jesus Christ, what's it gotta cost to get the NFL package in one of these sports books? That's uh Yeah. That's a big that's it's a, a big, that's a big chunk of change for it's all a big that. Number. 
Yeah. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> and I will say too, I'm I'm excited and I have a, I guess I have a question about this. Maybe Jack can answer because I got thinking about Iowa. And in, in Minnesota, you know, our casinos are tribal run. It's just uh, you know, local tribes running that. But when you do get to Iowa, and I'm like, you know, half hour from the border, I go down there quite a bit because they do have craps and roulettes. You can't play that up here, it's just cards. And there's a string of casinos along the border. And a lot of them are run by bigger companies. Like Boyd, uh, Boyd has a few, you know, companies that have Vegas casinos. So these are, you know, these are setup shops as far as it's a bigger company with capital clout and they have sports books already in Vegas. Like, are they at a big advantage to not fuck this up? Because, you know, like it's the one I go to in Iowa. It's, it's owned by Boyd. Like that's mm-hmm. you know whatever California the Main Street Station they already have sports books they should know what they're doing like or does it just not translate because the rules are so much different from state to state? It, it will translate because they will be able to kind of centralize their bookmaking in terms of generating lines and that they know what to offer and they know how to offer it and so a lot of the the you know I, Boyd I kind of I think it's based out of the Orleans in Vegas in terms of their sports betting they've got a Bob Scucci out there and um, they'll be able to kind of uh, scale that out to other properties. I think they already did that with some of their properties in Mississippi. Uh, They should be fine. Now, when you get to some of those other guys that are along the Iowa, Minnesota border there, I I think there's a couple tribals along there, if I'm I'm not mistaken. Um, And and so they're going to be, they're going to be a little different because they're going to either need to outsource it or fumble their way through it, which they, they're not going to fumble their way through it. They're going to outsource it because they're going to get an offer from, you know, the William Hills or some of the uh, Canby and, and the European operators that are going to come over and say, you know, look, we'll run your sports betting operation for you. Um, so it's just a matter of those deals that they work out. Uh, the nice thing about these new states that are coming online, and, and a few of them came online just in the past week, we had Montana, Tennessee. Well, Tennessee is kind of almost there. The, the governor's not going to sign the bill, but he's going to let it become law. Um, Indiana and Iowa is they basically have until the NFL season to get this all up and running. So they got time to kind of work out the kinks. There's no real race here for them. Uh, you know, if they have it operational by the time NFL preseason starts, that'll be impressive um, because they have to, they have to write regulations. They have to, uh, you know, kind of uh, vet operators and take licensing and, and investigate. And there's a whole, you know, path of, of things that they need to cover between now and when they actually start to offer it. So it's, it tends to be a uh, well-oiled machine by the time that it actually gets to the public and without, you know, the public's not, you know, baseball is the only thing to really bet on uh, in about a month or so here. Um, they're going to have time to get it all right before the crush of the NFL season hits or even the college football season hits the, the last weekend of August. So do you think a rule like you can't bet on an Iowa team, uh, do you think that that actually helps the proprietors? Because they are they would obviously have like wildly unbalanced action on like a weekend where Iowa plays Minnesota or something, right? So, right. So in Iowa, you, you still can bet on the college team. You just can't bet a prop bet on them. Um, can't bet a prop bet. That is bizarre. So why? In the and it'll be, it'll be interesting. What? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how what they okay. classify as a prop bet. You know, is it just going to be the the side total and money line? That's all you can bet. It's easier or, to fix or what? That's uh, I, 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 there were. See, here's the thing. 
we got a lot of legislators in this country that are suddenly having to become experts on sports betting that have never dabbled in sports betting. They only know what they've heard or what, you know, what some lobbyist has told them. Um, so I think this stems from, I think a, a Tennessee originally put this in about prop betting. And because I don't think they understand what prop betting is. They think mm -hmm. it's like, you know, will the offensive lineman fall down on the third play of the game? You know, well, yeah, yeah. okay, that might be something that could be rigged, yeah. right? So um, they're all they're all as smart as Al Leiter. Yeah, what what is exactly there? exactly? Yeah, I was just, God damn it, you beat me to the you beat me to the thing. I was going to yeah, ask you, are a, they going to yeah, be offering a, yeah. first pitch strike on the Iowa Cubs? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Five hundred thousand dollars. Five hundred thousand. I'm going to put a million dollars on ball first pitch ball. Uh, right. Oh, what do you know? It won. Uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, and I mean, I don't know. You, you, I guess just as someone who's been an advantage player for as long as you have, uh, is do you find all of the fixing, hand wringing, complete and total nonsense? And do you have kind of a point of view on what would make for a better kind of regulatory environment to help, you know, the actual integrity of the game as opposed to what they seem to think now? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's 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 absolutely just hand wringing at this point because, you know, sports betting didn't just start. You know, this has been going on for decades, and it was far easier to fix something in college sports before now than it will be after now. Uh, it, but it's also, you know, these these state legislatures have some kind of responsibility to, to look tough on the issue because otherwise they just okay. get beat up by their constituents, especially, sure, sure. you know, some of them that are more politically slanted in that direction. And, you know, we can understand how they can they want to put in tough language like this. But, uh, you know, at least they're going to allow some betting on the, the teams and in general it's just the teams. And I could see if they, you know, want to say, you know, let's not allow betting on anything except the major college sports, you know, let's not allow it on women's volleyball or something like that. Um, you know, I don't know too many people that were betting college women's volleyball. So, you know, here in New Jersey, they, they worked it actually into the ballot referendum question that they floated to the public in 2011, in which they said, you know, do you want to legalize sports betting, but you wouldn't be able to bet on the college teams in New Jersey. So, I mean, it was either vote yes on that or vote no and not have it at all. So mm. it, it, it it passed on the yes, but now it's baked into the Constitution, and it's not going to get changed, uh, you know, for a long time in New Jersey. Now, New Jersey doesn't have any college powerhouses, um, but this year, you know, when Seton Hall made the NCAA tournament, you know, a lot of people were kind of bent out of shape that they couldn't make a bet on Seton Hall in the sure. Sure, I remember so. that. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so then, going circling back then on this state by state issue. Um, you brought up a great point that some states are doing it right and some states are doing it poorly. Um, and, you know, clearly there's, I wouldn't say, maybe maybe it's not unfair to say some states are doing it right, so to speak. And maybe the, 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 the true optimized way of doing this hasn't been figured out yet. Um, but is there really ever going to be an optimized way of figuring this out that isn't at a federal level uh, across the entirety of the United States? I mean, are, aren't we always going to be living with some bizarre uh you know, kind of um, uh, issues relating to kind of breaking this market up into tiny pieces across well, the United States. Yeah, and, and adding on to that, like, do you ever think that there will be federal regulation where they just decide, like, yeah, we we changed it, we legal, or you know, we we repealed PAPSPA, 
where he said state by state, but eventually I, there might need to be national regulation or at least a, some sort of oversight or some sort of, you know, continuity, or is it mm -hmm. just always going to be willy nilly by state? Well, you know, that, that's, that's a good question. And, um, unfortunately, yeah, the solution long-term is probably some kind of federal regulation or federal framework or federal oversight over everything to kind of set a standard as to what, can be allowed and what is obviously not to be allowed. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be a high priority issue anytime soon. You know, we, we sure, did see Aaron sure. uh, Hatch, when he retired, he handed off a, a bill to uh, Chuck Schumer, of all people. And Chuck Schumer has been kind of having this bill in his side pocket and saying, look, here's some federal oversight for um, sports betting and reterming the Wire Act and kind of solving all these ills. Um, but it's not going to be a, a high priority issue, and especially not going to be a, a high priority issue in an election year when considering this is somewhat of a divisive issue. You know, the people that are against uh, sports betting legalization tend to vote one way, and the people that are for it tend to vote the other way uh, in terms of all their politics. So you don't want to put in something that kind of drives even more of a wedge in there in an sure. election year. Uh, so, you know, that rules out 2020. Um, you got maybe a chance in 2021, um, but now we have a new, uh, you know, probably have different administrations all the way up the line. And, you know, it's probably not a high priority issue then. Then we get 2022, you have some midterms. I really think it's 2023 before anyone even really kind of brings it up again. Um, that's my guess, you know, and if it's not 2023, then it's 2027. And yeah, now we're, you know, now we're eight years out from now. So, um, I, I don't see federal framework happening anytime soon. And I, I think there's more negative, um, or, sorry, there's more pessimism when it comes to federal framework than there is optimism in terms of what they might say. You know, they might institute some of those, you know, the league gets uh, an integrity fee of 0.25% and you need to buy official data from this source and you need to give the federal government 1% of all handle and, uh, you know, it, it can go sideways a little too fast when it comes to Congress making some of these broad strokes when it comes to sports betting. I think we're better off right now letting these states do it. Um, and then hopefully if you find out your state is soon to be uh, on the path towards legalization, just try to get the ear of your local um, state legislator and, and see if you can kind of influence what he knows about sports betting. Great tip. I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, I, mean, you, I mean, I guess you, you let, seem let, to have a, the, the grip you have on the, like, are there, I just, this is maybe a dumb question and maybe just my curiosity, but like, are there a few states, because you seem to have a handle on, you know, everything state by state here. I mean, are there states that just are never going to legalize? Like, they just are so far swung the other way or, may, you know, maybe not for decades because you know, some people piled yeah. on right away. I mean, Utah and. Well, I, I guess mean, that would make sense. but Well, you know, the funny thing is, is, so Hawaii has no form of legalized gambling because they don't want to take away from the tourism, right? Sure. Yet there's, also, there's already talk of having a sports betting legalization in Hawaii. Um, there's bills floating in something like 44 states already in terms of some sort of legalized sports betting or exploring the idea or fantasy sports and things like that. So... You know, I think it's a lot. I think we're going to find there's a lot higher acceptance of sports wagering than we originally saw with the casino boom that happened in the 90s. Um, 
casino betting seems to be more of a taboo than sports betting, which which kind of is odd to think about because in a lot of ways, sports betting's always been kind of associated with the underground, the you know, sure. fixing, batch fixing, and mob and mafia. And but in fact, I think there's less of a taboo when it comes to, you know, if I want to watch a game and I want to put twenty bucks on who's going to win, you should let me do that. And uh, I think a lot of the country is starting to feel that same way. Um, and I think I think it's going to mirror a lot of the like the marijuana legalization in the country. Um, it's sort of like, okay, look, you know, oh, this yeah, isn't that harmful. That. Let's let's go ahead and and it's going to and it's going to spread the same way because states are going to say we don't want our people crossing the border over to our neighboring state to wager on sports. So let's make sure we have legalization on our side to keep these tax dollars here. Um, yeah, I was say, it could just be lo- that's lost revenue. You know, right. with the like, great point with the legalized marijuana, and when they start seeing some of the revenue numbers that some of these states are going to hit, like it's going to be a no-brainer. Well, why, why, why would we do this? I mean, even even from a tourism standpoint, just be like, you know, somebody might not even want to go to that state. Be like, this is a shitty state. They don't have sports betting, and there's nothing else to do here. Hmm. Like Utah, Utah might just cease to exist. Okay. <laughs> Utah's got some weird. They they manage. Yeah, they manage, Utah's they guys, yeah, they're cool. Yeah, they manage just fine. The um uh the okay. So let's let's pretend like let's say I was like I don't know, let's say you know so one of our listeners is married to like a rep you know state rep in California or something like that and and they wanted to kind of lay out the case of like this is how this should be done. I'm going to educate you. Like like you you were bringing up before that you know the the competitiveness is important. Um, and that that's driven innovation. What are some of the things that are kind of bellwethers of really the right way that this should be done on a state by state level? Like what's the, what's the elevator pitch for, for this? If you, if you do know someone that, that has access to, you know, kind of shaping legislation. Right. So uh, some of the best things that we're seeing in terms of sports betting, uh, in, in these emerging states is the ability to not only have a competitive environment, but also have something that is competitive with the the underground, you know, with the offshores. Uh, you know, I, I don't like to say illegal market because technically it's it's not illegal in every state in terms of betting. It's only illegal in taking the bet that goes offshore. So but let's just figure out, you know, what can we do that can be competitive with that? So, you know, when I mentioned earlier that, you know, I can quickly move money into my sportsbook account without having to go through Bitcoin and all these ramps, you guys sure. kind of went, oh, oh, that sounds great. And that is great. And that's one of the advantages of a legalized environment. Um, that's one of the things Nevada kind of tripped up on was requiring you to go to the casino to register and go to the casino to deposit and go to the casino to withdraw um, and it kind of took, uh, you know, it, it took a lot of the mobility out of the mobile sports betting apps in Nevada. For um, sure. New Jersey has gotten it right. And, you know, people are amazed when I tell them how much money I can move in and out of sports books in a single day. Um, pay, I, know I haven't done this, but PayPal says they can move a million dollars per day uh, from, you know, your, your bank accounts into a sports book if you wanted to. Um, for the right price. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's, I mean, that's just there. That's how they're included. So, uh, you know, the more, the more these legalized places can do to bring the money into the light, uh, nobody's, you know, nobody's really afraid to make their sports bets in a legal environment. At least they, they shouldn't be. I'm sure there are some people that are, um, but 
you know, right now, one of the benefits of betting offshore and betting through maybe a local agent or a credit account is you can bet these big amounts without having to move the money around and, and how to, you know, uh, get things down in cash that maybe, you know, weren't so um, tra transparent to regulators and things like that. Uh, but that should be one of the benefits in a regulated environment because, you know, we have the ability to, like, there's there's the the case that happened uh, kind of a bellwether case right in the beginning of the football season in which in, in new jersey FanDuel they put up a crazy bad line on the end of an nfl game and 12 different people were able to bet it um and basically it was that uh denver would win the game at something like 500 to one um and they were already lining up for the final field goal to win the game and so anyway what happened is you know, if that would have happened offshore, uh, the sportsbook yeah. would have the yeah. sportsbook would have been like you voided know, in a heartbeat. Voided yeah, in a heartbeat. go yes. pound sand. Yeah. Kick around away. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're banned for a week. Um, but yeah, yeah exactly. oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. If they don't like you, that's their that's their excuse to to leverage you off the book entirely. You're you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. So, but here in New Jersey, you know, the the DGE, the uh, Department of uh, Gaming Enforcement. Um, they stepped in and were said to said to Fanduel, "Look, this is a new market, and you're a new player here. And these players made a legitimate bet, and you made the mistake of offering this bet to be made, and you made the mistake of accepting their wager. So therefore, you need to pay them." And they did. And Fanduel probably got more advertising dollar out of it from you know the, this viral story about you know these people that won tens of thousands of dollars from placing a, a sure winning bet. Um, but that's the sort of thing, like that's the thing that, you know, players are going to say, I want to go play in a legal environment versus the offshores where I'm never quite sure how quickly I'm going to get my money or if I'm going to get my money. Uh, and that's what I would yeah, say. For sure. For sure. And that's what I, looping back to your original question here, that's what I would say to any budding state uh, representative that, you know, people want to play in this environment. They want to contribute to this environment. And this is tax dollars just waiting to be made. And and, uh, you know, bringing this money from the black market into the light is doing everybody a service in terms of, um, you know, kind of making something better that everyone's already been doing for decades. Sure enough. What about the, um, you, you kind of raised the, an interesting point there at the beginning, though, of, of okay, now bringing this into the light. Um, and, you know, this is kind of, meta this is kind of, uh, you know, um, bringing together a lot of thoughts from some of the recent uh, outstanding gambling content that Rufus and Jeff Mob have been putting out there, and and some of the other uh, bet the business of the betting pod that you know some of these conversations recently have been really really good and, and informative and enlightening. Um, and it was pretty clear uh, when they were talking to the fellow who operates the West Book uh, and uh, the Westgate uh, in uh, Vegas. Uh, know your customer is kind of the key to being a profitable sports book. And if you're an advantaged player, I, I mean, you know, how do you exist in, in an environment where it is all completely transparent and there is no kind of disguising your action across, you know, a hundred different paperheads, like, you know, like how does that negatively affect the true advantage players amongst us who, you know, who are getting down outs across, you know, 50, a hundred books. Well, you know, what I would say to that is that there's there's always going to be a way that when a door closes, you know, there's a window left unlocked somewhere that you can sneak in, right? So, um, 
you know, without kind of disclosing all the secrets, it, it, it's part of the art of uh, being an advantage player. So that if somebody's going to limit you or they're going to ban you, uh, you find a way back in. Now, you might not be able to operate as proficiently when you get back in there and you might have to be sharing that account with a uh, you know, a relative or a partner of some kind. Um, sure. But, you know, there, there are definitely ways to get back in there. And there's also ways to make your bets without being noticed. You know, it's, um, I think uh, Gil Alexander actually made a good quote recently where he's like, you know, there's a lot of ways to get yourself banned from a sports book, but there's a lot of ways to not get yourself banned from a sports book. And, you know, if you can focus on, uh, not getting yourself banned from a sports book. Sometimes you're taking uh, the long, the better long-term approach. Um, you know, I get people that contact me on Twitter all the time and say, "Hey, look at this! Look at this bet that this sports book's offering. They don't. They made a mistake, and I'm going to hammer them on this line, uh, which is totally off." Well, that's a good way to get yourself banned from a sports book, or at least get yourself heavily sure, yeah. limited. Sure. Um, you know, Especially offshores, they right, fuck up that, all the time, and they're never going to honor those. It's just, well, and just see, raising flags. Like those are rough. And see, that's the thing. Like in New Jersey, they will honor that bet, but you're going to end up getting noticed. Uh, sure. So, sure. and and, th- and those mistakes sure. have existed as long as sports betting's been around, right? Um, but and, th- and that's kind of what I would say, though, is you know, just as there are a million ways to get yourself banned, there's a million ways not to get yourself banned, and um, you know, you don't have to kiss ass to a sports book. You know, I've been very careful on on social media. I've been contacted with sports books and they've wanted to set up affiliate programs with me and say, you know, Oh, you can put your, your name out there. And when they go with your code, you know, you know, you get a kickback. I don't want that. I don't want to cloud the message. I don't want to make it any murkier than it already is in social sure. media. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. so it, it, look, I'm, I'm an independent voice. I'm not being paid by anybody. Um, I make my money betting. Uh, so, um, you know, at the same time, you don't want to, get in a position where you're pissing off a sports book on social media either. Uh, you know, there's no reason to, to constantly throw them under the bus. Um, I've been very negative on a few that have limited me. And I, you know, some of that is out of spite. Some of that is just because, hey, the rest of the market needs to know, look, you can win just a little bit and boom, your limits are $10. Um, that's, just, you know, the world does need to know that. Sure. Is, yeah. Sure enough. Yeah. And I, I mean, a couple, yeah. a couple points that you made there, the, it just made me think of somebody else I talked to who does it, you know, for a living. And they, they, I asked him once about, you know, getting limited and stuff. And he's like, well, I mean, my mom has a pinnacle account. My dad has a pinnacle account. My wife has a pinnacle account. My, my aunt, he's like, I just have to drive, you know, to different places and use some different, uh, different computers. And that's how we get things done. And it, it makes me laugh too, that like, I've talked to people and by no means, you know, am I saying like myself, but they're, you know, the, the baffling thing I think people find out about professional bettors isn't like the grind of finding winning bets. It's the grind of, you know, keeping your house, which is, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's so, that's so mind blowing to like maybe new bettors who are like, shit, this is really hard to win. Like I, I can't, I can't seem to pick winners. Like, 
there's people out there where that's the least of their concerns. It's it's getting getting their action down, which is, I mean, honestly, when I was younger and like the first time I realized that 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 was the main concern for some people. That actually, I mean, that was one of the things that blew my mind the most. And yeah, it is crazy, like the mind. grind yeah. it takes to, yeah, to, to the work that it takes to keep your outs available. Yeah. It's like, oh, you've put in five years developing your craft and skill, and now you have a bona fide edge. Here's your reward. Good luck getting a bet down anywhere. You right. know, like, get, like, that's, it's just, it's, it's uh, mind bending for sure. Um, so let me ask you then, because uh, one of the, one of my favorite pieces that I've read in all of 2019 so far was a Captain Jack article. Uh, you wrote an article for us bet back in, I don't know what March ish, uh, advocating for like, this is why, you know, the pit, basically advocating for the pinnacle model to be tested in the U S market. If I wasn't mistaken, reading between the lines on that, um, you know, can you kind of make the case for us on the podcast for anyone who hasn't read the article? Like why, why is it in, you know, why is it something that is kind of missing from, the legal betting so far in the United States and then why is it advantageous for a book to try to adopt this? Right. So uh, the article I wrote um, was basically what is the value of sharp money in the sports betting ecology is what I kind of termed it in the article. And that is, you know, can it be used for value from both sides? Um, And, you know, it obviously can. And Pinnacle has kind of shown how they use it. They basically profile their users and, you know, if they find a sharp better, they're not going to limit him, but they're going to be able to move the lines based on their action. And they're going to know which side is the sharp side. So, um, you know, I think a lot of books actually do this, but they don't do it to the extreme of Pinnacle. And they also have such a like a, a short term view of it. You know, so in other words, uh, they can, you know, they see an action, a big money bet come in on this side from a known sharp better and they go, okay, that's the sharp side. Um, and, th- and then they just kind of shut off right there and they, they don't think about it anymore. But that's kind of not the whole picture. Uh, you know, it depends on when that, that bet's being made and, um, you know, the mo- different market conditions at that time. You know, the sharp better might just be picking off the, the lowest number on the screen. Um, sure. You know, it's, it's a lot of different variables there. But the important part of the Pinnacle model is it works because there's so few places that do it. And if the whole world followed the Pinnacle model, then uh, Bovada would be king, you know, because if everybody was super sharp, then the world would just be too sharp. And you had if you had one outlier on the other side, you know, they'd be the one that we'd say, you know, oh, we got to follow the Bovada mar- mar- uh, model. Uh, so I'm not advocating for everyone to be a pinnacle. I'm advocating for there to be a pinnacle and for somebody to take that risk to be a pinnacle, um, to be able to price their markets uh, more sharply. And, um, you know, if you kind of hang out there on the edge uh, and you take all of the world's action because you're the you're you're so far and away off market that uh, the world goes to you, that's that's a scary position to be in. Um, especially if you try to do the low VIG model that that Pinnacle does. Uh, in the U.S., I don't think we're going to see a Pinnacle anytime soon in terms of uh, all the facets of their model. What we are going to see, though, is for people to try the low VIG model, you know, to try to be just a minus 105 shop all the time. We're kind of already seeing it in New Jersey with points bet. Um, they, they try to be minus 105 dime lines on just about everything all the time. 
Um, and how they get around that is they uh, encourage uh, liquidity. They also take some big action so that they know when to move their lines. Uh, and they also, you know, try to take a decent volume from both sides. Um, but I think they're also willing to try to take that to, as an advertising point as well to get their name out there. Sure. I think we're also going to see somebody come along and try to be the pinnacle model in terms of being the industry leader in pricing. Um, try to get their numbers out there sooner. Try to um, operate on the fringe of the market, um, slightly off of what the you know the the market consensus is. Um, but in the end, I, you know, there's a lot of value for sharp money, and it goes beyond just being able to know which side the sharps are on. It goes to the point of, uh, you know, balancing um, action when you need to, because in the end, you know, all these states are reporting these monthly handle numbers, and that's how we're kind of gauging these, a lot of these markets on how viable they are. So the monthly numbers come out, and they're just based on what the handle was. In other words, the overall bet. And if you can encourage a lot of action, and sometimes maybe even have it be slightly balanced action, you're increasing your handle, and you're increasing what a lot of people are going to consider as your market share. And you know, this time last year, the world didn't know of FanDuel and DraftKings as sports betting powerhouses. And one year later, they control like 75% of the market share in New Jersey, and it's kind of you know, fate accompli that they're going to have that same market share in other states they go into for the same reason. Um, you know, getting a jump on market share just based on the raw uh, handle numbers you know, could be advantageous to a, a new book coming out. So taking on more action could be something that has long-term gains in terms of their reputation in, in emerging markets. Hmm. Man, do you think um, do you think what PointsBet is trying to do is viable in a single state like New Jersey and with advantaged players out there who can corner that action to a degree? I mean, obviously, like they're probably tracking you know people who are just playing arbitrage off of other markets worldwide, right? And in it, I guess really what I'm getting at it, at its core, this is a global market already. Like mm -hmm. it is what it is. Like, you know, none of these lines are really originating anywhere, you know, that you can have an influence if your entire operation is, you know, one one kind of shop in New Jersey. Am, am I crazy about that? No, that's, that's exactly true. Uh, it is a worldwide market. And, you know, these European players or Australian players in the case of PointsBet, you know, we need to realize that, yes, these are worldwide trading markets operators you know they're they're not just some mom and pop startup that's coming into new jersey and taking a shot so they're smart people right you know they know what they're doing um you know the big the big thing uh recently was all these bad beat uh refunds you know where they sure uh, sure 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 everything was a bad beat refund it felt like for a couple of weeks there um and it was clear you know what was happening was they weren't having a lot of liquidity on those markets there wasn't a lot of volume so they weren't actually repaying a whole lot of money. It was maybe right. ten, twenty thousand dollars here and there, and they were getting a lot more than that in advertising return from getting their name out there as this bad beat refund. Clearly, um, you know, if they oh, were yeah, what's a Revell tweet worth? You know, exactly. You get Revell to tweet about it three, four times. 
I have, I have, I, I, I call, I'm skeptical about what a Ravel treat is actually worth for the record, but that's, but that's beside the point. Um, the, the, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're right. Free. It was not, well, yeah, I guess. But I mean, how many human beings are actually reading that and reacting and responding? And, you know, is that really how you build a brand nowadays? I, I mean, I, I would say the, you know, the, what points bet got out of partnering with Barstool for like the big East tournament was like worth hundred X, whatever you get mm -hmm. from, you know, just kind of like a, you know, a, effectively a, a native advertising strategy of, of bet refunds, but maybe I'm crazy. Right. Hey, hey, I'm in New Jersey. I've never seen a points bet, um, billboard. I've never seen a points bet commercial. Uh, I've, you know, and keep in mind when I turn on a sporting event here in New Jersey, every commercial is sports betting, William Hill, FanDuel, DraftKings, you oh, know, the, awesome. the big, the big players are, are constantly berate, you know, um, <laughs> throwing out sports betting advertising bombarding. to anyone watching sports bombarding. Thank you. I was coming, going blank on that go. word. Uh, but the, the point being is points bet has built itself virally. You know, they're, they're getting their word out through social media, through various, you know, word of mouth and uh, you know, Hey, did you see what happened here? Look, points bet's going to give this money away and they know they're giving money away. Like they know it's negative EV for them, but they also have this idea that if they spend a lot into this market, um, they can build a brand and they can build some trust. And from what I've heard, they actually are building a brand and building trust. Uh, you know, I went sure. to betting on sports America. It's just a different conference. way to spend your budget, you know, your marketing budget. It's just, yeah, it, instead of buying that billboard or that commercial, you're doing, it's just, it's your marketing dollars in, in a different form. I mean, it, it makes sense. It, it exactly is. And, you know, here in New Jersey, it's a little bit obfuscated in that the reporting that gets done is only based on who owns the casino license. So um, PointsBet is owned through uh, the Meadowlands and they also have FanDuel. So when the numbers come out, it says Meadowlands and has all these high numbers that everyone associates with FanDuel. Um, but somewhere in there are the PointsBet numbers. Sure. And so when I'm at this conference, uh, that was last month in New Jersey, this betting on sports America, I got a chance to talk to Jeffrey Goral, who is the owner of the Meadowlands racetrack in New Jersey. This guy's, you know, billionaire that's made money through real estate and owning racetracks and things like that. And he was talking and he was basically saying, you know, I only wanted to give out one skin to FanDuel, but then these nice gentlemen from Australia came along and convinced me that they had a different product that wouldn't be uh, cannibalizing FanDuel's product. And so I said, all right, you can have the other skin. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, they, they've built up a decent market share. You know, that's, that's, cool. the first, yeah. that's the first indication that they're actually making some progress and that all that numbers that everyone keeps touting about uh, FanDuel, you know, part of that is points bet numbers too. So th mm. it's working for them, I believe. And uh, they're going to be one of the first ones into Iowa. Uh, so, you know, Hey Andy, maybe you'll, you'll have a point that, uh, <laughs> book to go to. And oh, hey, oh, yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. They have an interesting product. I like this. And you talk about the, you know, the, it's a, it's an international market. It's a global market. It's a, is that it's right? I mean, is that why a, is that why a small book or a small operator just, I mean, you almost have to be, I think you, you're going to have to be affiliated with a bigger operator because a, a small operator just couldn't do it long-term where if they have to move with the market and they're not actually taking the action, you know, on the side and they're just going to sit there and, and have a big opportunity to get middled or, you know, do you take the risk of not moving with the market because you, you aren't looking at the same liability and then people are just 
arbitraging you with online books. Like it, it, it kind of does suck for a little guy. I don't think they could do it. I, I don't know if you, you have some different opinions on that, but I, I think it, it's going to end up being just the big books, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you're absolutely correct, and it, and it goes even beyond that trading um, agility and goes to just operating agility. You know, do you have what it takes so that when this week Iowa spins up and Tennessee and Indiana, you know, can we expand into those states? Because, you know, we can't just make it in one state. You know, Iowa is not a big state population wise. No. Uh, you know, none of these states really are. We haven't. The big boys are New York, Florida and California. And there's they're still kind of waiting in the wings. And that's going to be the real test of a big market is, you know, those huge states like that in terms of population. But and we we already saw that with uh, you know look at MGM Corporation you know sure, they are sure. Nevada's largest employer they have ninety thousand employees yet when sports betting regulation hit in New Jersey and Mississippi they didn't span their operations from uh, Nevada they outsourced it you know they, sure. they became partners with GVC and and BWIN Party and and it's to the point now where the guys that are running the show in Nevada are pretty much marginalized to the point where, you know, Jay Rude, the director, the vice president in charge of sports betting, he, you know, he just kind of up and left because, uh, you know, if they're not going to use his expertise, then somebody else will. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a European book when you go to an MGM book outside of Nevada. It's, it's very European in terms of their limits, in terms of what they offer. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a different feel. Wow. That's fascinating. Let me ask uh, about New York and push in that direction a little bit. If you gave me the, you know, the the odds on, you know, next major state to to get involved here, I think New York is probably the prohibitive favorite of those three you mentioned. Um, let's let's assume in year two we see New York become a legal gaming market. Um, number one, how do you think that changes kind of the overall complexion uh, of you know state like you're you know this has got to be first order for you because you're a New Jersey guy. I mean, obviously, like you'll have some roots for the books in New Jersey, but they you know I'm sure that the the Meadowlands numbers are kind of you know spiked a little bit with people coming across the river, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what 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 happens when New York goes uh, goes live? Um, are you expecting that in this year? Uh, and then I have a very very uh, kind of hy- hypothetical to run by you after that. Okay, so. You know, the, the ironic the ironic part is New York is already legal for sports betting, but can only be done at the four upstate casinos and not mobile. So it's, it's useless law right now because those, you know, <laughs> all the people in New York State are all concentrated down in one corner, right? Sure. Yes. And uh, so really what New York needs is they need mobile betting because um, even having it at the racetracks in and around New York City um, – wouldn't be enough. You know, you really need the mobile product, right? Yeah. So uh, in New York, for whatever reason, just can't see the forest through the trees and, and keeps kind of, you know, screwing it up, basically, uh, this mobile betting platform that they, you know, keep saying they're going to pass this year. Uh, they, I think they only go for like another couple of weeks here in, in their legislature, and then they're done for the year, and it's probably not going to get done this year. But when New York becomes this major powerhouse, we're talking the possibility of a billion dollars a month in handle in New York. Um, sure. And not only that, but we're also talking, uh, you know, a major sports state um, in that you got Madison Square Garden, which hosts, you know, hey, Madison Square Garden hosts the Big Ten college basketball tournament. You know, they host the NIT finals. They, they host a lot of things that 
uh, aren't necessarily native to New York area, but just because it's a world-class arena and, and so well-known. Um, yes. You know, what's not to say we're not going to see something crazy happen with that, where they, uh, Madison Square Garden sells the in-game betting rights for the arena to a, a sports book so that when you're sitting in Madison Square Garden, you can bet on, the, oh, you know, the FanDuel lap or whatever, sure. right? Sure, yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the holy grail. Um, but what's also to say that New York doesn't say, hey, you know, look, we have Madison Square Garden. We want to attract the biggest events in the world. Therefore, we're willing to pay the leagues whatever they want in terms of an integrity fee if they'll look more favorably on New York State when it comes to major sporting events. Sure. Um, so there's there's that play. You know, these are the things that we're 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 going to find out in these major states that things that Iowa can't test, things that New Jersey can't really test. Um, that you know, what is going to be the cost to play in these in these big states? Sure, sure. Okay, that's fa- that's fascinating wrinkle. I hadn't really thought of uh, before now. Um, what I'm curious about, and maybe this seems, is... seems like there's some money to be made there. Yeah, for sure, mm-hmm. without a doubt, without a doubt. Jesus. Um, but where where I want to kind of pivot next is well who's who's losing in all of this? I mean, clearly the offshore markets are some something to keep an eye on. Um, maybe it's you know maybe we'll save that for a little bit later because I have some other specific questions about that. But about you know New York City, um, there's plenty of people who are getting down all the wages they could hope via mobile apps right now. In, I mean, you know, the billion-dollar number you came up with is not out of whole cloth. Like that's probably pretty damn close to what's being wagered now, you know, by people in that state and illegal bookmaking mm-hmm. operations. What, what happens when you scoop all of the rec betters out of that, you know, or you pivot enough of the rec betters to really hit the pockets of the illegal bookmakers? They all just kind of throw their hands up, say, "Well, we had a good run. Time to move on." Uh, you know, I mean, like, like, how does that, how do, how do they, you know, what happens to them? And then what happens to the people that are still betting with them who are now like, you know, disproportionately sharp players? So I think we saw the, the, the start of this recently when the Greek went down, you know, um, from, you know, from what I heard is they pretty much decided that really the only betters they really had anymore were sharp betters. Um, they weren't really growing their operation. Uh, and the, you know, the owner is kind of getting up there in years and he basically decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So he basically passed it off to, uh, Chris and, uh, you know, he absorbed the, they absorbed the, the operation. Um, I think we're going to see more of that, you know, and here's the thing, all the smart people in bookmaking are all offshore, you know, sure. Yeah, there's some in Europe, there's some in Australia, whatever. But really, I think that, you know, and there's some in Nevada. Um, but really, the smart, smart people are all down there in the Caribbean running the offshore books, Costa Rica and whatnot. Um, we need to find a way to get those people into the legal environment. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean we need to have Pinnacle get a license in the US. I don't think that's going to happen. I wish it would happen. Hey, wouldn't that be great? Um, sure. But it's not going to happen. But we need to find a way to get it so that the people that are the head traders and the odds makers and the you know algorithm creators can find a way to get licensed in the United States somewhere. Sure. Um, I think that would be a huge boon to the U.S. Uh, market as well as a huge blow to the offshore market. Um, and I think that would be the tipping point. 
Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. It, it really should. You know, it, it just, it, it makes the most sense. These people are working down there. They're not, they're not funding Al Qaeda down there. They're, you know, they're running a legitimate business. And yes, there's been shenanigans with offshore money and where money went and who had it and, you know, what it was funding in the past. But for the most part, some of the major players down there are just legitimate businesses doing business people. Sure. Right. And I mean, I'm sure the handle at Chris and Bovada and five dimes is astronomical. You know, it would put a lot of these States to shame. It's probably more than more than Nevada probably even takes in a month. You know, some of these places like bet Chris take in, in one month. Um, and one but, game. <laughs> yeah, I, literally. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, I don't know if that really answers your question because you were really looking at who's going to be the biggest loser in legalization. Um, I, but I think that's the biggest change. I think, uh, you know, to be able to kind of shift the, the knowledge, um, you know, because right now it's still kind of concentrated in Nevada, the knowledge that's in the U.S. And, yeah, we have some guys coming in from Europe and Australia and places like that, and they're bringing in some knowledge. And, yeah, we're going to grow some homegrown knowledge, right? You know, there's a lot of sure, former sure, sure, sure. DFS guys that could probably, be, could probably price a market better than a lot of sports books. Um, but at, for the most part, we need to kind of let – some of these, uh, you know, offshore places kind of uh, let these guys get freed from that and uh, come into the light and, and you know, hone their craft. Come into the light. <clears throat> I mean, were you, when were you going to, are you going to ask about the offshore doomsday then, Whale? Or what well, we, I was just, I mean, I'm just, one? yeah, no, I'm, I'm just curious. So, so one, like, 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 that one gives it, me dummy I mean, aches. Yeah, of course. Same here. I mean, I, 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 like, I got my head on a swivel for a lot of things, and that's definitely at the top of the list. But, but the, um, you know, the, um, do you, I guess, is it fair to view like an operation like Pinnacle? Is it fair to view them as like the world's sharpest and and most effective betting syndicate? Like, is that a fair characterization for them? Yeah, you know, I've always I've always said the same thing. Uh, don't view Pinnacle as a bookmaker. View Pinnacle as a as a betting syndicate because that's really what they're doing. They're betting against either they're enticing you to take bad bets against them um you know they're they're not a bookmaker uh pinnacle has kind of uh, you know their sharpness has rounded off a little bit over the, over the past few years and, and a lot of people consider chris to be the sharper book now especially since chris is taking higher limits than pinnacle does now um you know it's it's starting to be kind of a shift in market power in my mm -hmm. opinion and in some others opinion okay that's interesting um any uh, any theories as to why that is? Just well, based on the, the the bottom line, they're taking bigger bets, therefore they attract bigger fish. There was a change in ownership at Pinnacle uh, just a few years ago, and I think that's oh, okay. when the paradigm started to shift that I've noticed. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not close enough to them and that operation to kind of know for sure. That's that's just speculation. Sure. Okay. Interesting. So. Um, how do you get something that's as amorphous and as abstract as what effectively amounts to like an enormous worldwide betting syndicate? Like, bring, I feel like it may not even be fundamentally possible to bring an entity like that into a jurisdictional nightmare of U.S. red tape and sports betting. Well, you know, Poker Stars did okay. Right. I mean, there was a time when PokerStars was the, the singular largest casino entity in the world. 
um, in, okay. you know, with, okay. with online That's poker. That's a decent analog, yeah. Okay. And they've been able to morph and and change and pay some penalties and get into some, you know, they got into New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and now they, they just cut this deal with Fox Broadcasting. Um, and now all of a sudden, there's, they're, the, they're a billion-dollar, you know, multi-billion-dollar entity. Um, when at one time they were, you know, and uh, you know, Black Friday, they were one of the yeah. places that were shut down. So right, right. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, okay, so then uh, I guess if you were someone who was still who still had a decent amount of liability offshore, like what are you looking out for as far as signs of okay, I need to be a little bit careful about you know, where I have bankroll allocated and, you know, how much I have in, you know, in outstanding, you know, liabilities and things like that. Like, are, are, do you have any tips for people who are still heavily betting in the offshore space in the next couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to encourage anyone to be worrying about this in the immediate future. Uh, I don't think it's anything you have to worry about right now. Um, there doesn't appear to be any kind of government crackdown coming about illegal offshore gaming. Um, you know, some of these states are taking some hardline approaches uh, against offshore operations, but not to the point of seizing accounts and things like that. Um, I, you know, it, sports betting offshore has always been had had this cycle. I think anybody that listens to your show knows this is that uh, you know your money's always safe through the NFL season. Your money's safe through March Madness. When you get past March Madness until the next NFL season, eh, you know, it's the wild west. Yeah. Yes, yeah, you yes. might you might want to be a little careful. I always used to keep my my balances fairly low, and I was even a baseball better. But I would make sure that I only had enough in there to you know cover my tracks for baseball. I didn't want to you know be keeping six figures lying around in some offshore account during the NFL offseason. It just seemed too risky. Yes, you certainly would have been good to uh, to withdraw your winnings uh, after March Madness and and leave it in your Bitcoin e wallet uh, over those <laughs> that's uh, few months. Yeah, that's that's geez, for damn sure. <laughs> I, I'm, I guess um, I'm glad to hear you say that like we shouldn't be worried and I guess we, we did kind of come to the same conclusion like if you're these bigger operators I mean your competition besides the illegal bookies which is going to be tough it's not like people haven't tried to crack down on that but your competition is the offshores and I mean you have the pocketbook to hire some lobbyists and start working on that but I just think and you know what you said was a a nice uh, maybe a sigh of relief from this side of the uh, computer here too. Just knowing that maybe they have bigger fish to fry at the moment. Just getting set up, getting getting the inroads into all these other states first before they start screwing around with all that. But I, I think to think it never will happen will be naive too. Because I mean, if you have a big checkbook, you're going to hire some lobbyists and you're going to get that competition or at least try to take them out. So I, I think we will see probably offshores almost go away eventually. It'll, it'll suck. But by that time, I think the, you know, hopefully the, the stuff we have here in the States will be good enough where maybe we won't notice a difference and it won't hurt so bad. Yeah. I'm hopeful of that as well. Um, and this is a fascinating conversation. It's uh it's, any, any anything else about the the legal uh, sports betting space that you wanted to ask Andy before we kind of get into a couple of different uh, storytelling questions I had for Captain Jack? I maybe you know better than I do. I've followed it a little, but when's when's Minnesota going to crack? We're fairly liberal here. Yeah, uh, 
you know, Minnesota is not on the immediate radar, um, but there, there has, I think there is a bill uh, in Minnesota, you know, that caught me off guard because that's not a state I kind of keep up with. Um, but um, I, I believe <laughs> there is, there is a bill that was already kind of floated out there. Um, just about every state, like I said, has a bill that's been floated in some way or the other. Some of them are, aren't going anywhere. Some of them are just to kind of get attention, but um, you know, it, it just about every state is, is doing something yeah, I think uh, ours after ladder. Well, after, like yeah. The, and after, after this, going this, there's a, this, this current rash of states where we're at the end of the legislative calendar for the year. Um, so there's a rash of states that are right now. Uh, we still have some other states that are really close. Uh, the really close ones are uh, Colorado. Looks like they're going to put a ballot referendum out um, next year uh, or this coming November. Uh, Louisiana is is going to they're going to do it because they got pressure from Mississippi. Um, uh, I think there's there's been progress in Illinois that is looking okay. Although now we're looking at some integrity fee issues in Illinois. Um, so th- those will be the next ones. Hmm. Well, you're so good at communicating this. Uh, at what point do you become a lobbyist in this space and, and hang up your uh, your advantage player hat? You know, that would be uh, you know it, <laughs> that would be an interesting change, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, but I'm sure yeah. It's the, the pay is good, probably, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what you hear. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's it, it. One of the you know the funny thing about it is New Jersey passed a regulation that says if you work in the industry in New Jersey, you can't bet in New Jersey. And I, you know, that I've, I've had a lot of job offers from different sports books in New Jersey, not a lot, three or four. Um, and each one I say, you know, I can't, I can't bring myself to that. I've waited too long to bet. I need to bet for a while. I need to be on this side of the counter for a while. Um, it just wouldn't be any fun if I was on the other side and unable to bet. So what do you think, what do you think is missing from sort of the current kind of gambling content landscape right now? Like obviously, you know, there's kind of a, a little bit of a gold rush to kind of seize the eyes and ears of, of people who are interested in this new for the first time. Uh, but there's, you know, and a lot of it gets derided because it's kind of garbage content. But uh, at some point, you know, if there was something that was really, really good out there and it was kind of giving away all the trade secrets, that wouldn't be good either. Like, what, like what's the right note? Uh, and what do you wish to, to see and hear from kind of the, the future of gambling content in the U.S.? Right. So, you know, I've actually got to be careful what I say here because um, I've been working on some things. Um, but I and this is this is something I've felt for a while is I feel there is a need for education. Um, and it's not so much education on how to beat the sports book. OK, because not everyone can do that, even if they had it spelled out to them. Uh, they, they, you know, it still would escape some people. Um, but there needs to be this education on on trimming the house edge. Okay, just 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 taking it so that they're a smarter sports better, that they're a better better, um, rather than oh you know the sharpest better, um, you know. And it's 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 things that you see if you hang out in any sports book. It's the mistakes you see people making again and again and again. Um, you know, wh- whether it be too much reliance on parlays or um, not understanding the bets they're making. Um, I've seen that time and again. Um, you know, not you know teaching people to look into derivative bets uh, rather than the straight bet, especially if they're a low um, a low roller in terms of their betting. Sure, you know, sure, sure. Things like yes, that. Yes. Yes. Um, 
you know, there's a, there's a book coming out next month, Ed Miller and uh, Matthew David Aller putting out a book called The Logic of Sports Betting. And I read it, and I hate to say it, uh, it's, it's really damn good. Um, <laughs> I wish I wrote it because it's all the things that I had been thinking for all these years. And I didn't bother writing a book, you know, and, but Ed Miller wrote a book <laughs> and it's going to be a really big seller. Um, it's, it's, you know, I always tell people there's only three or four good books on sports betting. And I've had that same line for about 20 years now because there hasn't been anything really good that's come out. This is a really good book. And, uh, I don't want to give it too much of a plug. Um, you know, but it's, it's unfortunately, it's, it's everything that I've kind of been thinking along the lines of what is a more sustainable thing to teach people when it comes to sports betting. And it's not to give them picks uh, and just have them blindly follow. And sure. it's not to try to teach them to become a winning sports better because that takes a lot of study and a lot of, um, uh, you, you just have to be so dedicated to being a winning sports better. Sure. Um, but one thing you can teach anybody that they can use, whether they're going for a weekend in Las Vegas or whether they're going to the local casino because they just got sports betting in their state, is to just be an educated sports better, um, to trim the house edge. And, uh, and you know, we're not seeing that with the, the television shows that come out, you know, lock it in. Um, I think the Daily Wager is a really good show, but at the same time, they're very pick heavy. They're just down there kind of telling you picks. Every once in a while, they do like a educational segment and i think it's really good um preston's really great on that show uh, but at the same time you know it's it's not it's not fitting a niche and, and it's probably not an area they want to even get into like they don't want an educational show i mean that's the closest we get to that is uh, gil alexander's show on vsin is probably the most educational of all of the sports media content that i've seen out there and um so I think there's still room for some more educational content, and that's something I've been working towards. Um, and, you know, down the line, I hope to be more involved with that. Um, but even beyond my own personal interests uh, and, and monetary interests in that, um, it's something that I, I feel from an any viewpoint is is applicable to the sports betting space right now, is that you, you just need to have people learn a little bit more about what they're doing so they can become better and they can do it longer. Yep. Well said. All right. Uh, I like I like that approach. Like that, you're not going to turn people into professional betters overnight. Just most people that want to do it don't have the the time, the energy, or maybe even the know-how. And it's kind of like the 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 blackjack. You, you play basic strategy perfectly, the house is still going to win. What like forty eight and a half percent of the time. But at least you're not going to be just you know hemorrhaging money if you do it right. And I think yeah, you take that same strategy as far as maybe just you don't go to Vegas for the weekend and just absolutely fuck it up on sports betting. Maybe you you're sitting in that in that range where you're not you're not just you're you're not just completely screwing up a bankroll where you you have a little bit of knowledge. You have some tools in your toolbox that uh, are going to allow you to not be the worst guy there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, the entire system is built on, uh, you know, picks, draft clicks and, you know, the, the NFL is king for sure. So it's tough to kind of, it was, it was bold and brave for them to roll the daily wager out in the middle of kind of the, the, the coolest part of the, the betting calendar. Um, but, uh, I, I do, I Soft do, uh, open. Just, that's actually a fair point. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're definitely, uh, 
you know, there definitely is a lot of room for growth in this space, and hopefully, people uh, people make make uh, make some good decisions and uh, provide some of that content. But yeah, I mean, it's it's we've gotten into this world before. We've talked to players who have bona fide edges and kind of tap dance around like actually giving away all the goods and i've thought long and hard about do we need to kind of go through our library and delete some episodes where we gave away a little too much because like you know it's tough like you know at some you're either you know you're either presenting content like you are an expert and it's all bullshit or you're actually actually giving away actionable you know information that uh you know will help hasten the demise of your you know help hasten the the your ability to to continue to hit that itch so it's, it's a weird paradox um i don't know if there's a if there's a middle ground but i i do like the idea that uh you know there's kind of room for educational content so people can kind of you know fi- figure out a better way to go about this and uh we should actually uh we'll be talking to ed in uh early early june I think or late May, I can't remember, but we'll yeah, have you we'll had a chance have, uh, to read that. I'm, I'm like halfway through the book. It's yeah, good. I'm, like I'll I definitely screw Jack on that. It, it's it's been yeah. good so far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I, I don't think we have the full copy either. I think there's even more than that we don't even have in, in the draft copy that we have. So, but but yeah, it is good, and I I would like to talk to Ed about this, and and I agree. You know, there's there's a way to to kind of craft your um, your approach to this that you know that lessens your likelihood of of uh of busting and uh you know more than anything really just kind of like practicing decent ways of managing like not going on tilt and you know like have like we were talking in the pre 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 uh production here like you know it takes a long time and a lot of reps before you kind of have an adjustment personally to where a losing week or a losing month doesn't turn into tilt, dump your whole bankroll. It turns into, okay, this is the inspiration I needed to, this is the kick in the ass I needed to go kind of, you know, hone a new edge in a new space and a new part of this, you know, this, given what I already know, given the, the philosophical under, underpinnings I'm already using, like this is, uh, you know, well, let's, let's go to work. Let's find a new edge. And uh, if that's your kind of ment- underlying mentality, when you go through some losing stretches, you're going to, you're going to survive the ups and downs a lot better than if, if uh, you know, if you find yourself on tilt when you have, uh, when you have one, one pick that doesn't come through, uh, you know, when you're, yeah, when you're, and, when you're, you know, when hopefully, you're 40 hopefully to one, we can move towards that. Right. When you're 40 to one parlay you know, as comes far as up, more education. Yes. Oh yeah. Fuck. Right. Like when those you're forty. So those like we've said that that's bad. It's almost bad for you when you hit a long shot parlay or something stupid like that. I think it's it's bad for you long term. It just it, it forces a bad habit. Right. Right. Oh. Right. When your forty to one parlay you know, comes oh, up, uh, one when your forty to one parlay comes oh, up. Oh God. This. One Kawhi Leonard shot shy of uh, of cashing, uh, or or a couple Brett Brown empty possessions from cashing. Uh, yeah. You know, taking that information and and uh, and getting back to the to the grind is is important. So, uh, with that, uh, let's any other uh, fun, especially fun uh, advantage player stories uh, that uh, that you want to share with our folks, uh, having stuck into through the kind of the the educational part of this podcast for this long, Captain Jack. Oh, anything? Boy. Any any anything like anything that would okay. So so a little bit more about my background. So I I've, I've been swinging in offshore betting space since like. 2010 
but before that, like, you know, I was dumping plenty of money on World Sports Exchange before that that went up in smoke. Uh, anything that uh, kind of from that vintage that, uh, you know, you tell the listeners and it would just blow their mind if, if, if all they've ever experienced in sports betting was going, you know, betting at Bovada and then, you know, eventually realizing that that was a square book and then getting an account at another offshore book. And, you know, that that's their entire understanding and knowledge and grounding of what sports betting is? Well, I, you know, I have a story about one of the, one of the early things I did with sports betting offshore and it has, it's a, it's a fun story, but it's got a bad ending. Um, so, uh, I, I was getting into baseball betting and I was also getting into learning how the effects of, um, how the weather impacts baseball betting. And there was a book that was written, um, back in 2004, I think it was called Betting Baseball 2004. And uh, it was a spiral bound book. You know, you, you order a book and it comes just some, some guy had printed it himself off his printer and, and spiral bound it. And basically it had everything to do with um, park effects in baseball, the weather impact on baseball, um, umpire tendencies in baseball. And so I, from that, I kind of built a rudimentary model and I, I went on some of my outs that I had back in that day, and I found that uh, one place I had, a place called BetOnSports.com, um, had uh, baseball. Yeah, had well, had baseball props, and uh, every name. game, every game on the screen had the same line for the number of home runs that would be hit in the game. So, in other words, oh my goodness, a game, a game at Coors Field was lined the same as a game at. Candlestick Park back with Candlestick Park back then. Um, not only that, but then they had uh, they had uh, which team would have more hits in the game, and they had the home team favored on every single game. Oh when, no! When the visiting team's going to oh, bat no. nine times, but the home team might only bat eight times. <laughs> so here's the thing: they only had a limit. They had a limit of two hundred dollars on each of these bets. Right? Sure, 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 sure. But they also had different skins of their own of their website, and so I was able to um, open accounts at some of the other skins. I forget what the name of the skins were. It was like uh, pan- JadePanther.com. And, uh, you know, all all these weird names of sports books back in the day. Right? Uh, yes. And at two hundred dollars a pop, I I quickly ran up about sixty thousand uh, dollars in all of their not quickly, but over the course of a couple seasons, uh, just continuing every day, two hundred dollars a game, um, you know, up to about sixty thousand dollars that I had in these in these books. And now we're talking; it is two thousand six or so, and uh, the UIGEA uh, decision comes down, and things are starting to get a little sketchy offshore. And, sure, you know, you're sure, starting to have sure, trouble sure. getting money in from these places, and and it's you know it's getting kind of tough. Um, and I saw some kind of news report uh, online about that the founder of BetOnSports.com was detained in the U.S. after he was taking a flight from London to San Jose, Costa Rica, but it connected in Dallas. And U.S. Marshals oh, were waiting in man. Dallas to arrest him on, you know, bookmaking charges oh, or whatever. Man. And so I, I quickly oh, started to cash man. out all my accounts. But, of course, they had limits on how much you could cash out in a single day. Of course. Day. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Of course. So I was able to get about 20000 out. But the rest of the $40,000 went down with BetOnSports.com. Oh, um, and uh, that, that still to this day is my... You know, people ask me, "How's the mo- what's the most you've ever been stiffed?" You know, well, that's it, forty thousand um, dollars. 
And the funny thing about it is they would sell their their customer list to other sports books. So I'd always get these calls from other sports books and they'd be like, hey, I know you were a customer at Bet on Sports. Here's what we're going to do. We will reinstate your balance from Bet on Sports into our book and you'll just have to play it through like 10 times or whatever. And then when I tell them what my balance was, they'd be like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like oh, oh no we, we can only do never it for a thousand dollars yeah never mind. so <laughs> um so in the end in the end uh bet on sports was liquidated and all of their assets were sold off at liquidation and everything and then a uh, share of that went to pay off fines from the government and all this stuff anyway long story short is uh about five years later i got a check that equated to uh, I think it was about seven cents on the dollar of what my balance was, which wasn't, you know, considering I thought I was going to get absolutely nothing, you yeah, know, it sure. wasn't, yeah. wasn't the worst thing in the world, but yeah, um, sure. that's how it all ended is some liquidator, you know, found that I was, you know, was able to get you, however much I got from that. Incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, I think that's a decent lesson as far as if you're off, if you're gaming in the offshore gaming industry, you know, right now, like the, the, there's, the, that is the number one thing that people don't realize is, you know, they're the books. The only thing that you really have going for you is the court of public opinion in any of this stuff. So if you take, you know, if you take a pretty healthy swing at, uh, you know, at one of these offshore shops, like, you know, be prepared for, you know, the hell that comes along with trying to get that money out because it's not mm -hmm. going to be easy. So there's no, they don't really have a legal obligation to pay you as far as I understand it. Well, you don't have any, yeah, legal I, liked, I liked what you said before because. with the, the balances, like it, it is probably best practice to keep those balances a little lower. And now with, the fact that you can just go Bitcoin in and out of everything. It's super yeah. easy to just you don't keep have them at reasonable amounts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agreed. hundred percent agreed. I, I know someone who recently yeah. said to me that the, the, the best return they've had in any sports book recently is their account at nitrogen and they haven't made any bets, but since they yes. keep their everything in Bitcoin, <laughs> like they just, yes. they just keep having a higher and higher balance basically in, at nitrogen. Thanks to Bitcoin. Yeah, it's real. If you're if you're listening to this and you're like, "What are we talking about?" Nitrogen bets is my preferred out for just kind of day to day wagering at this point, and it is because of that particular aspect that it is all in Bitcoin, um, and they do have robust limits available for um, you know for sides and totals in in your major sports leagues. Um, where they fall short, very very obviously and very clearly, is in the futures market. They won't take big bets in the futures market because they don't want you parking money there and then you know having you know having bitcoin triple on them while they you know while they're not because you know I, I can only imagine it's it's hard enough as it is to balance your liabilities in the futures market but when you know when the price is doubling over the course of you know a beautiful saturday afternoon then you know what that does to your outstanding liabilities in the futures market it must get awfully complicated it is yeah it's a funny quandary because other books they love the the amount of hold they can get on futures and and the fact that you do have to you have to sit on your money that they just get to hold your money for that long whereas yeah like you said nitrogen is pretty averse to them as fact is i mean what yeah, did, just what did you end up limits. did you i mean did you ever figure out what your your warriors future ended up being last year because of just where would you know what bitcoin was when you placed it yeah, it turns no, an even money bet into 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were, th- there are, there are multiple stories of this, but for sure the ones, you know, some of them, some of them are good, but, you know, back, back in the day, they didn't have particularly low limits on futures. Uh, and you could park money in a warrior's future and, and watch it grow on top of being a plus EV wager as it is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the last couple of years, it's been a little weird and they've, they've turned the limits way down and they don't let, they don't allow you to read that anymore, which is annoying also, but we are without us, without a, a, a reasonable price change. So I don't know. It's a, it's a good shop though. Good, good. They give you penny lines on NFL, uh, which is pretty cool. If, uh, you know, you're getting, you're getting, uh, five cents, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, no complaints at all. But, uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that, uh, you know, keeping your balances at the offshore as low is, is best practices nowadays. Interesting stuff though. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Good, good, good content. Congre- you know, th- fascinating, uh, uh, to think about how far we've come in a year. Uh, any major predictions for year two of, uh, of legalized sports betting in the United States, Captain Jack, as we sign off? Uh, I think, I think we're going to see the big thing we're going to see in the next year is probably, uh, tournaments and contests. You know, I think the super contest in Las Vegas that, the, at the Westgate, is we're you know we're going to look back at, at that that was so incredibly small you know just a few years ago because now it's going to really balloon uh, especially if they can find a way to kind of pull it across multiple states uh, without uh, violating the wire act um, <laughs> I think I think the NFL oh, well man. especially in consenting yeah. states you know sure um, but I think sure, the NFL sure. contests are going to be huge uh, I think Ooh. more tournaments like we saw with the DraftKings tournament I think that's going to be a big thing to do um, because you know that's a fixed um, uh, vig that the the contest maker can take out of it, and and people seem to get excited about that sort of thing and that whole player versus player model. Um, obviously, exchange betting would be great, but I don't think we're going to see that in the next year. That's probably in a couple more years off. Um, but I, I'm really excited of all the innovative things that we're going to see. You know, a year ago I didn't anticipate that we'd see sort of like this points betting model where you have action points on you know the games, and the more you win, the more you uh, your team wins by the more you can win in the in the wager. You know things things like that. I didn't even see it coming. Um, I had never bet a three inning line before, but in New Jersey, all these books have three inning lines. So I've been I've been doing five inning lines for for years, but now three inning lines. That's even even more exciting, right? It's, that's it's, cool. There's just a lot of different derivatives out there and innovative ideas, uh, and I think the best ones are the ones that nobody's even thought of yet. And I'm hoping we're going to see some of those in the coming year. Cool, cool, cool. Well, appreciate all your time. This was absolutely fascinating, and um, you know, you know, your your knowledge and expertise in this is is very, very well received. So, thank you so much, and uh, best of luck. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate this, and it, it was it was fun. <laughs>